Hello, I'm Tony Carter, lead pastor of East Point Church. And for the past eight years, we've called the city of East Point our home as we've sought to point people to Christ through the preaching of the gospel. And during our time here, we've shared church space and met in civic centers and in schools. But now God has given us a gracious opportunity to have a place that we can call our own. Currently, we are under contract for a church building and are raising funds for the down payment. And normally we don't ask for donations in this matter, but this is a unique and a wonderful opportunity for us. And so if you are so inclined, uh, we ask that you would partner with us in the pursuit of our vision for a permanent home for East Point Church. If you would like to give, we invite you to visit our website at epointchurch.org. And there you will find a tab directing you in how you might be able to give in support of us raising the funds to obtain this church building. Thank you for this opportunity and thank you for partnering with us in advance. Wow, time has gone on already. We have quite a bit to discuss this morning, Jim. So strap it on, man. Church, beloved, is is a family. Amazed how I've been thinking about that lately, how the Lord has been bringing that to my mind. The church is a, a family in so many ways. Um, that family analogy is seen throughout the lives and the ministry of the, the church. And starting a new church is, is like starting a new family. It's like a couple that get together and and, and God has blessed them, and they're going to start a new family. And there is excitement, and there is hope, uh, there is anxiousness, there is joy. And like any new family, you tend to uh, remember and to uh, celebrate the first in that family. So even as a new church, we remember those first, our, our first meeting place, our first baptism. Our first VBS, our first wedding, even our first funeral. And Lord willing, if he would be so gracious, we are about to experience another big first, our first building, our first permanent home. And all of these first marked big happenings for us. But I am convinced this morning that none more so than if the Lord would be so pleased for us to have a building of our own. East Point Church from the very beginning has been a church of faith. This is what we preach, this is what we teach from the very beginning. We have sought to preach and teach faith in Christ. We have sought to uh, um, teach trusting God as that essential element of the Christian life. And now, as we turn the page onto another chapter in the story that is East Point Church, Though the chapter is new, the theme remains the same. Trusting God. Faith in Christ. 
Yes, yes, the, the, the stakes are a little uh, um, bigger, the move is bigger, the, the money is greater. Yet the calling is still the same. Trusting God. And as we walk and as we talk about this building, as we will later on talk about raising money, as we talk about planning the ministries, and as we talk about the the decorating and the design, and all these things, necessary things, let us not fail to remember what is most important. That is, in the midst of it all, let us not forget that we are ever in a battle. And it is a fight of faith. And every step of the way, beloved, is a battle of belief. And with this in mind, you and I should understand that the Christian as an individual and the church collective are always under siege. Always under siege. Under siege from enemies within and enemies without. The Christian life is a warfare that is raging at all times. And our enemy, the devil, knows no cease fire. Knows no cease fire. He is ever diligent in attacking God's people. Ever diligent in seeking to undermine God's work. Ever diligent in seeking to diminish God's glory in the earth. This is particularly true Beloved, whenever God's people seek to trust God for big things, Satan is not going to sit by idle. And for us, as East Point Church, the church building is a big thing. And if that is the case, beloved, Satan knows this. And has been and will continue to be on the attack. Now I want to press this upon you this morning because I know how important this is. And I want us to get it. Satan has been and will continue to be on the attack. And therefore, this morning, I want to encourage us to be all the more diligent. For the Lord is opening up to us wonderful opportunity 
to trust him. And therefore, it is a great opportunity for Satan to undermine that trust. The devices and the designs of Satan. The devices and the designs of the devil. I feel like this morning, I was thinking through this and praying through this, and I was reminded of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 11, and I said, you know, I feel this morning like Paul when he writes to the Corinthians, and he says to them, let us not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now here's the thing, beloved, here's the thing, you know, it's amazing that Paul actually believed that Satan was attacking, that he was ever diligent on his job, and that he had devices, that he had designs, that he had schemes, that he had methods, that he had plans, and that God's people could therefore be outwitted because they would be ignorant of that fact. Fortunately, I think too often we are outwitted because we are just that, ignorant of his designs. And often oblivious to his devices. And yet I believe that nothing could be more important this morning in that we understand Satan's attacks because as I've already said he's already begun and I am confident that as we draw near to what God has for us his assaults will become all the more intense Salting our vision as we get closer to realizing it. Satan is busy because when you dare for God, Satan dares you to try. Did you hear that? When you dare for God. Satan dares you to try. And he has devices. I want to share with you just three of them this morning. There are many more. But I think if, you, if we get these three, we're well on the road to keeping him at bay. The first one we want to talk about is that the devil wants to divide. That's what he wants to do, beloved. Don't be ignorant of his devices. The devil wants to divide. When, when God's people get together and dream 
of giving God glory through their worship and through their service. One of Satan's primary means of attack is divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. This is his M.O. This has been his M.O. from the very beginning. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that as he was thrown and he fell from heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. It's what he does. The Bible tells us, does it not? And when the serpent came into the Garden of Eden, his method of operation was divide and conquer. And he divided. Eve from Adam and Adam from Eve. So that in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 12, when the Lord comes to Adam and said, Adam, what happened? And Adam said, was that woman you gave me? Satan had divided the first couple. But he didn't stop there, you do understand, because the hope of the first couple was in their first children. And they believed that God had promised them that, that, that in their children would be their hope and their salvation and ultimately their restoration. And what does Satan do with Cain and Abel? He divides not only husband and wife, but he divides brother from brother. This is Satan's agenda, beloved. He wants to divide. He wants to divide your home. He wants to put husband against wife and wife against husband. He wants to put um, parents against children. He wants to divide marriages. He wants to divide churches. He wants to divide friends. He wants to divide your affections. And get you to thinking that you can have affections for the world and affections for God. He wants to divide your loyalty. And get you to think, and contrary to what Jesus says, that you can serve God and mammon. If he can get God's people divided, then the work will not get done, will it? God will not be glorified. The work will not get done. And few and few things have the ability to divide a church like a building campaign does. Don't be unmindful of that. Let us not be ignorant of that. Satan 
doesn't want God's people to have the joy of their salvation. And here is what we must understand. Satan can't take your joy. You have to give it to him. You give it to him. Because you yield to the temptations of the disunity. Satan desires disunity. Christ has prayed for unity. Satan divides. With your mind on Christ, you know, Christ is not into division. Christ is in multiplication. Christ multiplies. Satan works hostility and anger. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. I don't get it wrong, beloved. And this is where I really want us to understand. During this process that we will be going about and seeking to secure all those things necessary for us to move victoriously into that building on Sylvan Road, as God so pleased, during that process, there will be many opportunities for division. My encouragement to us this morning is don't fall for them. Don't fall for them. Don't be ignorant of the devil and his devices. Beloved, we will not all agree on the color of the carpet. We just won't. We are not all going to agree on where the nursery should be. We will not all agree on the decorations in the bathrooms. We will not all agree on how all the money should be allocated. But here is how you know those who are working for Satan's agenda and those who are working for Christ. Because those who are working for Christ are peacemakers. And they are doing all they can to build peace and unity. They're not backbiting. They're not gossiping. They're bringing people together and saying by the power and the grace of God, I know we can work this out. Because we are called to be peacemakers. Don't be deceived, beloved. We are called to be reconcilers. This is why Christ came into the world, did he not? He came to reconcile us to God. And then the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18, 
and therefore he hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Be a reconciler. Be a peacemaker. Put the devil on the run. Because you don't fall for his devices. You bring people together. You don't set them at art with one another. But don't think simply because he can't divide us that he's going to give up. For if he can't divide, he's got other strategies too. For the devil will distract. He wants to distract. One of the real and frustrating methods employed by the devil in seeking to undermine the work of God's people is distraction. If he can't divide them, then he'll distract them. And those who are in warfare understand the value of distraction, don't they? Valuable weapon. Generals know all about this. And how important it is to get the, hand, to get the enemy focusing on one hand while you whipping him with the other. Magicians know that, don't they? That's how they fool you. Get you looking over here when the real issue is over here. Distraction is something we all deal with in our lives every day, beloved. Every day. You know why the dinner gets burned? Oh, I got distracted, honey. <laughs> Why were you late to picking up the kids? Well, you know, I got a little distracted. People get into car accidents because they're texting and driving, which is they got distracted. This past Friday, there was a lot going on. There's been a lot going on all week. And there was a lot going on. There was a lot on my mind. A lot, just, just a lot of things, you know, just um, uh, the burdens of, of the church and um, building and campaigns and getting ready for this push, um, you know, people calling and wanting to meet about the petty squabbles things and people threatening to leave the church and you know, trying to put a sermon together going in one direction and uh, kids away at school trying to figure out no money to give them what they need. Things, all these things were weighing on me and I go to the store um, to buy a few things the grocery store and while I'm in the grocery store I remember oh wow that's right tonight we have a basketball game. For the girls, my daughters play basketball, and they had a basketball game Friday night. And I said, man, I don't have any cash. I'm going to need some cash so I'd be able to get in the basketball game. So I go through the checkout, go through the self-checkout. You know where this is going. I go through the self-checkout, and I push the button for 20 extra dollars. Take my groceries, take my receipt. I get home, I drive home, about to get out the car, and I realize 
I left the $20 at the counter. Distracted. Distracted. And I said, Lord, that's an expensive illustration. (laughs) I have never paid $20 for a sermon illustration, Lord. Thank you very much. It's one thing. It's one thing. Being distracted and you burn the dinner. It's another thing in being distracted and failing to do the things that God has called you to do. When God called Nehemiah, to build, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the account is given there in Nehemiah and Ezra. For the city of God had laid in waste. And God rose up Nehemiah and said, Nehemiah, I want you to go and I want you to lead the people in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And God called him to do that, and they began to engage. In this task that God had called them to do. The Bible tells us that a strong opposition rose up against him. Satan attempted to distract him from the calling. In Nehemiah chapter 6, Sanballat, one of those who was against Nehemiah, and another guy named Geshem, they sent for Nehemiah. And they said, Nehemiah, we want to meet with you to kind of work these things out, to kind of work out our differences. Now, you would have thought that that would be a good thing, kind of reconcile with those. But, beloved, that is the work of the enemy. It is a distraction. God had called Nehemiah to build the wall. When the message came to Nehemiah, In verse 3, this is what Nehemiah said. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Amen. Don't let the enemy distract you. During this time, beloved, you will be moved to make commitments to your church and to your brothers and sisters. Don't let the enemy bring you down from that. Don't let let him distract you from your commitments. Don't let him distract you from your service. For during this time, there may be called upon us to do extra and to do more. Don't let the enemy distract you from that. All of us will be asked to give and to give more and to give sacrificially. And initially, we will make commitments to do so. But then the enemy will come along and he will seek to distract you from that. All of us will make commitments to pray. 
spend time on our knees before God, praying for our church, praying for our leadership, praying for the process. And in during that time, the enemy will seek to distract you from that. You set your time to pray. And when the phone rings, you just look at it and you say, I'm doing a great work from God, and I can't come down. But I got a bit of good news for you. I'm doing a great work from God, for God. And I can't come down. Don't get distracted, beloved. Jesus didn't get distracted, did he? That's what it reminds us of in Matthew 4. We covered this week in our Bible reading, those of us who were doing the Bible reading. Matthew 4, Satan tempted Jesus and tried to distract him from his mission, from going to the cross. You know what Jesus said? Be gone, Satan, for it is written. Be gone, Satan, for it is written. I love that, beloved. That reminds me what I need to do in those moments of distraction. I need to say to the enemy, be gone. But then don't stop there because Jesus didn't just say, be gone, Satan. Jesus said, for it is written. And if you're going to put the devil at flight, beloved, it is not because you tell him to go. You better know some words. You got to let him know it is written. And I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, who for the joy that was set before him did not get distracted. He didn't get distracted, beloved. And that's why you and I are saved. You know that. You and I are saved. Because Jesus didn't allow the enemy to distract him. Don't get distracted. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's promised to lead us through faithfully. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted. Lastly, Satan wants to discourage. You know, I, I, I do believe that in times like this, perhaps no weapon the enemy employs more effectively than the, than the weapon of discouragement. Discouragement. And the reason is, it's because no one is immune to it. Nobody is immune to it. No one, no one, no one. Anyone who has sought to serve the Lord has found themselves at times discouraged. And if they say they have not, I question who they serve. That's again, when you get busy 
for God, the enemy gets busy against you. All God's people, all God's people, all God's people familiar with discouragement, beloved. Abraham, Moses, Joseph, they each knew it. Joshua, Gideon, David, they all knew it. Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Paul. In the struggle against the devil, discouragement is sure to come. You will not be long in your battles with the enemy that the enemy doesn't tempt you to give up. Tempt you to quit. Tempt you to run out. In Ezra chapter 4, in verse 4, when God's people were set to, to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Ezra 4 and 4 that the enemies of God and the enemies of Judah came and they discouraged the people and made them afraid to build. Because that's what he does. This is the work of the devil in the midst of God's people. He tells you what you can't do. And he tries to intimidate you. And by giving heed to him and listening to him, you become paralyzed in your service to God. Now, beloved, along this process, again, there will be many opportunities. Satan will make sure of it. There will be many opportunities for spiritual paralysis. Because we are very meticulous people. We are. We are very meticulous people. We like to have all of our T's crossed and our I's dotted. We got to put a plan down on paper and we got to make sure that we have covered every contingency. We got to want to know where every dollar is coming from. We got to want to know where every penny is being spent. We got to know that every dime is accounted for. I got a newsflash. God doesn't work that way. And when your plan goes awry, you will be tempted to give up. Because things didn't go the way you wanted them to go. And what we need to be mindful of is that though our God doesn't work always on our schedule, he is a God who is always on time. Yes, he is. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And he may not come when you want him. 
We're going to be there right on time. Amazing to me. I don't like it. I don't like it that God likes to work in the midnight hour. I don't like that, Lord. Come early in the morning. But I know I sure do like it when he finally does show up. And I realize that he's always right. Don't get discouraged, beloved. Don't get discouraged, beloved. The devil gets in the details. He does. He gets in the details and he begins to remind you that you haven't figured it all out. Why don't you just give it up? You're not going to be able to do that. Bank ain't going to give you that money. Y'all too small. Y'all not going to raise all that. Are you kidding me? Who got money like that? What about the neighborhood? Y'all don't want to go over there. What y'all going to do when y'all get over there? Think about it. It's not too late to change your mind. Aren't y'all going to need some more parking? Uh, what y'all going to do about those bathrooms? What y'all going to do about that? Don't y'all going to need some more classrooms? Ah, y'all might. Don't do that. It's not too late. Reconsider. Change your mind. Quit. Beloved. devil is the father of lies, the Bible says. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, God says, don't you be afraid, for I am with you. And don't you be discouraged, for I am your God. Don't be anxious. God cares. Have you prayed? Trust him. Trust him who is faithful. Don't Get discouraged. God knows what we need before we ask him. And I am confident when I say this, God never leaves his people hanging. Trust him. Wait on him. Whenever you sense the enemy is attacking and you feel discouragement setting in, beloved, I want you to repeat to yourself, these three words, okay? God got it. God got it. God got it. If you ever see, if you ever hear your pastor sounding anxious, sounding like he might be a little discouraged, I want you to just come up to him, grab him by the hand, look him in the face with a smile, and say, Pastor, God's got it. If you're ever praying for your pastor and you're wondering, how's he doing? Is he staying encouraged? Don't wonder. Pick up the phone, call him, and say, Pastor, I just called to say, God's got it. God. Look at each other, beloved, and don't be afraid. 
in the midst of the discouragement, in the midst of wondering how and when and who, just look at each other and say, but you know what? God's got it. God's got it. And it will be well. Beloved, don't be mistaken. The devil is defeated. That's where we end. Remind ourselves. Yes, yes, Satan is strong. Satan is skilled. Satan is crafty. He comes, the Bible says, as a wolf in sheep's clothing. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He proposes himself to be a fierce lion roaring at God's people. And in all this, beloved, as his wolf in sheep's clothing, as his angel arrayed in light, as his fierce lion roaring, he would defeat us except he is already defeated. Christ has defeated him. Christ has unmatched him. Christ has exposed him as a liar, has exposed him as a cheat, has exposed him as a phony. Christ has shown that Satan is nothing more than a paper tiger. And we need not be afraid. Because in defeating Satan, here's the wonderful Christ prays for us. In this battle against the enemy, Christ prays for us. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, Jesus goes to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. But I want you to understand how powerful that is. Jesus prayed for Peter. Satan desired him. Satan desired to distract him, to discourage him. Satan desired to defeat him. Jesus says, no. Know it, Simon. I have prayed for you. Satan cannot have you. But here's the good news. He didn't just pray for Peter. He's praying for you right now. He's praying for us as we sit right now. He's praying for us as we worship this morning. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, does it not? Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him since Since he always lives. Did you know Jesus is alive? He is alive. And he's not alive just sitting around twiddling his thumbs. He's on the battlefield. 
He's praying for the saints as they are engaged with the enemy. And he is making sure that our victory is sure if we would just trust in him. He has not left us alone in this battle. Every moment of every day, our Lord lives to intercede for his people. You need not be discouraged. You need not be afraid. For the Lord Jesus is praying for you. Therefore, when the enemy tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt and the sin within, The songwriter says, what do you do? Upward you look. And you see him there. Who made an end. To all your sin. He is praying for you. And as we pray for this building, beloved. Let us remember. That Christ is praying for us. As we fight against discouragement. Let us be encouraged that Christ is encouraging his people. As we fight against division, let us find our unity again in Christ. And let us, as we fight against distraction, Remind each other to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because the devil is defeated and God is exalted. Hallelujah. The devil is defeated and Jesus is exalted. Have